and his name was Abraham. Back in 1967, when I was back in Australia, I was in the final year of a student pastor ministry in a church, or actually Four Point Parish. And I went through the worst, probably the, the hardest year of my life in, as far as trouble is concerned. My wife was chronically ill after and during having our second child. My wife and uh, my daughter had chronic, my eldest daughter had chronic asthma. And so we had a little newborn baby. In fact, the night after my second baby was born, my wife was in the maternity section of the hospital and I was in the emergency section of the, the hosp- section of the hospital with my other daughter with asthma trouble. And uh, we went through living hell for a period of time. And in the midst of that, I was just about ready to step... I actually wanted to step down for a while to get my life in order because I felt I was almost going to fall into a big black pit and somehow the hand reached out and stopped me. And uh, I don't know whether you've ever been to a service or a meeting where it's like God gave a dossier on you for the preacher to preach just to you. <laughs> Maybe somebody in the night. And that preacher that day preached a message about Abraham. And it changed our life. And through it all, God called us to go out like Abraham, not really knowing where we're going, according to Hebrews chapter 11. And that began a journey of faith for us. The Saturday night, I, I just want to say this before I get into the message, that I asked Paul's permission, and um, I wanted to sow into your life something. I want to give you something. Every one of you. I think there's enough to go around. My wife has written a wonderful book, I'm prejudiced, but I know from the responses <laughs> I've had from other people that people have just been absolutely blessed to read this book. In fact, I had a message from somebody who just a couple of weeks ago read this book, he picked it up and couldn't put it down and read it through the whole night until the next morning. It's called Call Together. It's the story of our life and ministry in Australia before we came to America. And it's subtitled, The True Story of Radical Faith and Obedience That Would Challenge and Inspire You to Fulfill God's, a God-Given Destiny. There's a boxes over there. Uh, they're free. Normally they sell from, well, it's $15 retail, but $10 we give it away at a less price. But for you it's nothing, because I want to sow something into your life. Thank you. Amen. I'll talk to you about faith. Where does faith come from? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith cometh by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Now, just think about that verse for a moment. If you're going to have faith, you first of all got to be a hearer. You have to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, some people even have been taught that God doesn't speak like that today and that the only word that we have is what's written in his Bible, in the Bible. That God does speak. And he doesn't just speak to the biggies. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. John chapter 10. I um, have the privilege of teaching a class every week in Teen Challenge in Minneapolis here. It's in their training center and I have about 40 to 50 students in there. All of them have come out of lives of addiction and alcoholism and everything else that you can imagine. And uh, I have the opportunity of teaching them about spiritual leadership. In the first two sessions I do with them, I take them through a course on hearing the voice of the Lord. Because I, I tell them, unless you can hear God's voice and be led by Him, how can you lead anybody else? If you want to be used by God and you want to be a spiritual leader especially, develop the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. Because God is a God who speaks. And we need to be a people that hear Him. Amen. Now Abraham was such a person as that. He heard the voice of the Lord. That's what really got Abraham going. And he became what was for us sometimes called the father of faith. Paul uses him as an example in Romans chapter 4. Hebrews refers to him in the great hall of fame of people of faith in the Old Testament. 
But in Genesis chapter 12, we hear the first time that God speaks to him. And he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, and from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Where did Abraham's faith come from? Hearing a word from the Lord. And if you can hear a word from the Lord, and you know it's from God, and there's ways to test it, then that's the basis of faith. And I can honestly say, I mean, I was a Christian for 20 years before I became baptized, and the Spirit in my life changed after that. But since that time, I don't think there's been a major decision that I've been involved in that has not come because I've heard a word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes in many ways. But the important thing is not how it comes, it's whether you've heard it. So I want to challenge you tonight. You're young people on the threshold of life. Who knows what God wants you to do? But one of the most important things that you can do is to develop the ability, cultivate the presence of God in your life. Develop that intimacy with Him that you can hear His voice. You know, my mother was Scotch. And, you know, I, I grew up in an age before most of you were ever born or even thought of. Before there was a lot of things you'd take for granted. We didn't have a refrigerator. We didn't have television. It wasn't invented or it wasn't available. And all the other things that we take for granted. And we didn't have a telephone. I can still remember when I first got that telephone, hearing my mother's voice on that phone. I would know that voice. The same thing with my wife. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I used to sometimes call up my phone before you had this ID thing, you know, it tells you what, who's calling. And I would say, this is the Hanover County Library, you have a book overdue. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd know my voice. <laughs> Never did feel all once. In fact, I think I gave up. You see, if you know God, you'll come to know His voice. One of the most precious things that I know is hearing the voice of the Lord. That's right. Now, let's take faith a little bit further. The Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. In other words, faith is not just some intellectual assent. It's not just some intellectual acceptance of something being true. It's not even recognizing that God spoke and said, yes, that's God what you do with it. And I believe that faith is linked with obedience. If you really have faith, then you'll obey what God says. For what's the use of God speaking to you if you don't do what He tells you to do? And that's the second thing you have to learn about faith, is learning not only to hear, but learning to obey. And the more you obey, the more God will speak or the more clearly you'll hear. Faith and obedience go together. So Abraham, when he heard the voice of the Lord, said, well, that was a nice voice. I think I've put that aside and write about it and think about it for the next few years. Now, he started on a journey that took him 1,500 miles from where he was living in Mesopotamia until he came into what we call the Holy Land today. Quite a journey in those days. Incidentally, I've got a friend of mine who's prayer walking. He's already prayer walked America, north, south, east, and west, or west and east, actually. Now he started from the Atlantic Ocean in Portugal, and he's walking through Europe. He's walked through Middle East, walked through Turkey, now walking through Georgia, and walking on his way to China. And he's going to walk right through until he gets to the Pacific Ocean. That's quite a journey. Now let's talk about obedience. When I first got baptized in the Spirit, I was learning to more clearly hear the voice of the Lord, and then God was trying to teach me how to obey it. And I remember a little incident I had 
which was one of the ways that God got my attention about the importance of obedience. After I got baptized in the Spirit at the time there, I was with a group of people who had read David Wilkerson's book, The Cross and the Switchblade. If you never read that book, it's an exciting book to read. It had a major impact upon what we call the charismatic renewal. There was two or three books Dave, uh, uh, that uh, really impacted people in those days, and that was one of them. If you know what that charismatic renewal was, it was a move of God that began very slowly in the early 60s, took off in 1967, and went for about maybe 13 to 15 years. It was the biggest move of God in the 20th century. Paul was involved in it, because he's not a real chicken either. And, uh, and uh, I had the privilege of living through that. And so at the beginning, in 1971, I was with a group of people, and we wanted to start a a ministry like that in Australia, something like Teen Challenge, because the drug uh, scene was just beginning to explode at that particular time. And so it was felt that somebody ought to go to New York and see for, you know, what was David Wilkerson doing, what was happening at the, re- uh, the centre there. And the lot fell on me. And that became my first real challenge of faith, because like a lot of committees that had a great idea but no resources, and I was on my own to raise the money. And God did that in a wonderful way. You can read all about some of these stories in this book. But, you know, in those days, there wasn't a lot of link between linkage between denominational people. I was a Methodist minister. And um, Pentecostals, we didn't really fellowship at all. And, and so I felt I needed somebody who could give me some introduction to the work of David Wilkerson's in New York that would sort of, you know give me some kind of a reference to go there. Now I heard that there was a man from Philadelphia by the name of Bob Bartlett who was the head of Philadelphia Teen Challenge. He was speaking in Sydney at the time for the Full Gospel Businessmen's meetings and, and, and so I thought, well, I, I know I've got to go to New York but maybe he's got some, should have some contacts there he could help me in that regard. So I knew he was speaking at a meeting on the Saturday night, so I went there on the Saturday night, and after he'd finished preaching and ministering to people, I went up to him and introduced myself and told him, I'm a Methodist minister, I feel I should go to New York to Teen Challenge. Could you help me in some way to get there? And much to my disappointment, he didn't have anything to offer me at all. And I went home that evening rather sort of dejected because I thought, surely this man... You know, he's from America, he could help me, and he didn't. Well, Sunday I was very busy, and with church services and everything else, and Monday I was praying about it, and I I knew that Bob Bartlett was returning to America that week. He said he was going back to America, he didn't say when, he didn't say what day or what time, and um, I knew he was going back. And as I was praying in my study that afternoon, or that day, I felt the Lord said to me very simply, and it was just an impression in my spirit, which is often the way that God speaks to me. And he said, go out to the airport between 4 and 4.30 and see Bob Bartlett and he'll tell you what to do. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I've never won an argument with the Lord. <laughs> but I'm sure I had one right then. I said, Lord, I talked to that guy on Saturday night. I asked him for help and he had nothing to offer to me. Now you're telling me to go back and see him again this afternoon and he'll tell me what to do. I didn't get any particular answer. Because God had already spoken. And after I wrestled with this for a while, arguing with God about why I should do it, I said, well, what am I going to lose? I'll go and do it. Now in those days, Sydney Airport was comparatively small compared to a major, major airport it is now and uh, particularly the domestic was separated from the international, so you could go to the international airport and you could stand in a particular place and you could see virtually everybody coming in to that airport. And so I was out there and just after four o'clock in walked Bob Bartlett. And after he checked in his bags, I went out to him again and explained who I was. I'm a Methodist minister, I want to go to New York to study at Teen Challenge. Can you help me? I don't know whether it's because I persevered or whatever it was, but he looked at me and he said, Go and see a man by the name of Phil Duncan. He was a Pentecostal minister, Assemblies of God pastor in, in, um, in Sydney. He'll tell you what to do. 
So I thanked him. And then I contacted this pastor who I didn't know. <coughs> I went to him, explained what it was all about. And he was a been involved in the international Pentecostal movement. He knew David Wilkerson. And he wrote me a recommendation and set it off. And I got an invitation to come and study at Teen Challenge. Now I thought about it afterwards. I thought, Lord, why didn't he do that the first time? And I felt God was testing me about obedience. Now I'm going to give you a phrase for you to think about. Some of you may like to write it down. And that is this. Understanding can wait, but obedience can't. And you see, sometimes we will only step out in faith if we understand what it is that God's doing. But sometimes God doesn't give us the understanding. He wants us to step out in faith like Abraham of God, not knowing where he's going. And that's what God was teaching me. And that laid a foundation for the rest of my life. But many times I've done things without really understanding where it was leading me. And to be honest, sometimes that's caused problems for other people that I was involved with. Because they didn't understand what it meant either. And sometimes they thought I was crazy. So the second thing I talk about faith is obedience. Obedience. But the third thing I want to talk about faith, and Paul told me not to go too long tonight. Some of you find difficulty sitting down for a while. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man under authority and I'll do what I'm told. <laughs> but I want to say nice you this. Obey, Helen. <laughs> Nice that you obey. Oh, yeah, I'll take that one. Yeah. I have faith. <laughs> Amen. Third thing I want to say about faith is this: faith is an adventure. See, I don't want you to get the impression that. Well, you've got to grin and bear it. You've got to tough it through. Yes, there's an pers- there's a, a aspect of perseverance. There's a fight of faith and everything like that. But I want to see that in the midst of it, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Let me tell you a couple of stories because it's one of the ways you can convey truth if you understand what's being conveyed in the story. Jesus did that with parables, so I guess I'm telling you a few modern day parables when God called my wife and I to step out in faith in 1967 to go out not knowing where we are going it began a whole new journey for us four years later I got baptized in the spirit actually it only took me eight years to get baptized in the spirit I first heard about it from a girl from a lady in my congregation who told me about these things back in 1963 and I was a traditional evangelical conservative Protestant at that particular time. And she told me about miracles. She told me about speaking in tongues. She talked about the gifts of the Spirit. She talked about the Holy Spirit. And I even went back to the Bible and I did a little bit of a study on it and came up with the concept that was a typical dispensational version of Scripture. It happened then. Maybe it happened then. But we don't need it now because we've got the Word of God. And I literally... Not literally, but figuratively threw buckets of cold water over her. And eventually she left my church for some reason or other. And I <laughs> went to a Pentecostal street, a church that was just starting down the street. About two years ago, I was able to write a letter to her and send her this book because she's in the book. Wow. <clears throat> Let me just say this. Sometimes you think your witness is not going to bear fruit. She must have wondered about me. She was the first person who really told me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been witnessing to people and you've been sharing Jesus with people and you think that's brought nothing. But you never know. You may have sowed a seed that somebody else later on will water and eventually will bring forth a harvest. Especially when you go out on the streets. When you witness to people, you think, well, that wasn't much fruit tonight. You'll never know until you get to heaven. Well, in 1971, I ended up going to Teen Challenge, but it was like the donkey and the carrot. That was the carrot that got me going, and I was the donkey. I ended up doing a trip right around the world, Singapore, Rome, England, across to America, and then back home to Australia again. 
And what God did to me on that trip was not just the time that I spent in Teen Challenge, and that was wonderful. And I never did actually start Teen Challenge. I spoke at the breakfast when it was launched in Australia because I found the Assemblies of God wanted to do it too. And I served on the council, the organising council, for about seven or eight years. But I never was involved in it full time. But what God did for me was he exposed to me what the new move of the Spirit was taking place at that time. And I came back to Australia with a vision to set up an organisation that would be fostering renewal in the churches in Australia. And my wife and I stepped out in faith. I resigned my parish and without any financial support began a new ministry. And we moved out of the, the, the pastures where we were living into a house around the corner, which was the worst house on the block. In fact, it was demolished three months later. We moved to another one down the block and so on. I had a, 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 an office to start off with, which was about one-eighth the size of this room. It wasn't big enough to swing a cap. I know I never did swing a cap, but I figured it wasn't big enough to swing a cap. <laughs> In our first conference, we had about 300 people. And by 1979, we had the biggest conference that had ever been held of its kind in Australia, with somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people at that conference. There was not an auditorium big enough in Sydney to hold it, so we went into the Randwick race course and we held it in the open air, the evening meetings. This picture on the front of this book is the opening service that was held on the steps of the Sydney Opera House, one of the great buildings of the 20th century, with 10,000 people on the steps there on a sunny Sunday afternoon. And God gave us a great move of God in Australia. I started Bible College, had a national magazine. We ran crusades. God only knows how many hundreds and thousands of people got saved, filled with the Spirit healed during those times. We took teams overseas. We did all sorts of things. And I even got involved with, some of you may not know this guy, but a guy called Jim Baker who started the PDL Club. And which was at that time the major Christian television ministry in the whole world. And I became his Australian organiser, and then I hosted an Australian version of the PDL Club just at the time when things changed and I moved to America. I was riding high. I was ministering over here because how did I come to America? Well, in 1978 there was an international conference held in Singapore under the leadership of a man by the name of David Duplessis one of the great men of God of the 20th century. And uh, it was probably the worst organised conference I've ever been in, and I was on the committee, (laughs) for reasons that I won't go into. And uh, I was invited to speak. And some of the Lutheran leaders, Dr. Morris Barkness, who was pastor of North Heights, Rod Lynch and some people that Paul would know were there. And they heard me speak, and as a result of that, invited me to come to Minnesota in in the summer of 1979 to speak, to be the opening night speaker of the International Conference on the Holy Spirit. I thought, this is a wonderful place. Man, Minnesota in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely trees. Squirrels scampering all over the place. Blue sky. I thought, this is paradise. (laughs) And then Morris Wagner's invited me to come back the following February. (laughs) And I discovered there was another season. <laughs> so I spoke at all the services on the Sunday at North Heights. And then on the Monday and Tuesday, I teamed up with Morris Wagner and Rod Lynch to speak at a leadership conference. It's interesting. Last Sunday, I was pre- speaking at North Heights at the uh, Roseville, and I was standing where I actually received the call of God 30 years ago. And uh, when I was preaching, I, I was teaching principles of leadership, and one of the things I was teaching about is the concept of what I call emotional delegation, so that when you release somebody for a particular position or responsibility or ministry, you don't micromanage them, you release them emotionally as well as functionally. And while I was preaching, the Lord interrupted the message. Now, he didn't ask my permission, he just jumped in. <laughs> And I'm there and I get this word goes right through me and he said, you are to delegate the ministry in Australia and move to America. Just as simple as that. There was a a, a young couple, at least they were young men, they were sitting at the back of the church on the right hand side and while I was preaching the Lord spoke to them and said, you are to pray for him. And as they prayed for me, 
the Lord gave them a word. And they came up to me after the service and they said, they told me what had happened. I said, well, what was it? And they said, you ought to train somebody else to take your place. God's going to replace you. Now, I had the most successful ministry in the country at that time. We just had a conference, as I said, with 20,000 people. We were on the edge of phenomenal things happening. And God says, lay it all down and move to America. Now, to be honest, I didn't know where I was going to be. I went from Minneapolis to Florida. Uh, there was a conference with Derek Prince. Came to uh, PDL Club at, at Charlotte, North Carolina. Came across to Tulsa, did an interview with Oral Roberts for our television program. Went up to Seattle, to Los Angeles, back through Hawaii and back home again. All the time saying, is this the place? Is this the place? Is this the place? And eventually after my wife had picked me up at the airport, we're driving down the freeway to go home. And the Lord very simply said, where you receive the call is where you are to go. And I called up Morris Wagner and told him, and he invited me to come. And I want to say North Heights was a tremendous blessing to us. They opened their door to us. My first office was at North Heights. And um, we were there for 12 months, and a whole lot of things happened since then. And um, they had a furniture shower for us because we left everything behind and just started with virtually nothing to begin all over again. Little do I know that when God called us back in 67 to take that Abraham call, that literally he would call us to do what Abraham did and leave from one country and move to another. There are some people here tonight. God's going to call you to do that too. He'll tell you when it's right. But be ready for it. So we came to America and we started all over again. Involved a whole lot of things since then. I won't go into all the details. Because I think I mentioned to you, Paul said, don't preach a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But let me not just give you a testimony. 30 years ago. Let me try and give you an up-to-date experience. Last summer was the Lutheran Conference on the Holy Spirit 30 years after the time that I was called to come to Minneapolis to speak at that conference. To be honest, I wasn't going to go to it because the reason was my daughter is married to a Lutheran pastor lives in Germany. She's also teaches on the internet for Bethel Seminary. She's got a PhD in historical theology, so she's the theologian of the family and she teaches for them. She's also just become the director of patristic studies at the University of Chippegan for a related ministry from a church in America. And she was visiting with her two children, so we wanted to spend as much time as possible. I was having a meeting with my my wife and a, a, a close colleague of mine, Tom Fox, and uh, we were discussing some ministry to do with that ministry that I have called Omega Team. And the question raised up, shouldn't you go to the Lutheran Conference? And I said, well, uh, you know, and I explained the reason why. And they felt strongly that I should go. Now, often God will speak to you through other people. And I called up the telephone and see if there was any tickets left for the luncheon. And all I got was an answering machine. And they said, well, why don't you go? And so we went, and I met Paul at the door. And he said, well, there's two last, I think there's a couple of tickets left. And we got the last two tickets to the luncheon. And John Paul Jackson was speaking at the leadership day that day, and I was sitting on the side at the back. And I was underneath the air conditioning, and to be honest, I was freezing. The air conditioning was coming straight down on me, and the room was packed out. And when John Paul Jackson had finished speaking, I think he gave about three or four prophetic words. That's all he gave that night or that day. And he started off and he looked over and he said, there's a, a man with white hair. Now, I, there was a time when I didn't like that, but I accept that now and I enjoy it. And he said, there's a man over there with white hair and he's a blue shirt. And he started to give me a prophetic word. Now, the center of it was the heart of it. Because, you see, at that particular time, I was wrestling with a question. Lord, I'm going to be 75 in February. How long do I keep doing what I'm doing? Do you still want me to lead the ministerial network that I've set up with you know, six other people? Or should I hand it over to somebody else? And so you see, I was wrestling with this. And nobody else really knew that because I hadn't really talked about it to my wife at that time. And he looked over at me and said, God's not finished with you yet. And I realized that I had to keep going on. In October that year, I got a letter from a lady that I knew who sent me a prophetic word. 
That was a wonderful moment, by the way, for all of us that knew you. Yeah. We, we all felt that was a very special time. It was. It really was, because it was 30 years to the day, or to the season when I was here, first time. In October, this lady wrote me a prophetic word, and without trying to read it all out or say what it was, it, the two things that stood out was, number one, get ready, get ready, get ready. And number two, God is going to bless you and your family. He's going to do something with your family. He's going to be blessed. On our wedding anniversary in... Um, January, uh, let's see, November the 29th you should remember my wedding anniversary uh, <laughs> we were attending a, a wonderful church in Burnsville pastored by a good friend Jamie Van Gelden, if any of you know him. and um, Jamie had been teaching on the gifts of the spirit a series and on this particular day after the end of the sermon he said I want you to break up in twos and threes and pray and prophesy over one another so I ended up with praying with and prophesying or ministering to a couple and likewise backwards. And then my wife ended up with Jamie and another girl that she never knew. And this girl had a vision. And she saw my wife walking down a path. And as she was walking down this path, new life was springing up all around about her. And she gave a word which simply said, there's going to be new life. It's just going to flow out of you. You don't have to do anything. It's just going to be because of the deposit of God in your life. And as you go along this new path, new life is going to spread up. Well, you know, when you receive prophetic words, there's always the temptation to try and make it happen. And that's a dangerous thing. Because if you get a prophetic word from somebody else, then it'll either be confirmed or it will confirm what God's already saying. Because if you try and act on what God's, what, what a prophetic word, even if, if it's right, you know, it, it's got to be something that you witness to because God speaks to you himself. I love the story that Joel Osteen's father told. I, I, I chaired a meeting for him in Sydney, uh, John Osteen, back in 78, I think it was. And he told the story about a, a woman who came up to him and said, Pastor Joel, Pastor Joel, I've just received this prophetic word from this man that I should go as a missionary to Africa. Do you think I should go? And John, with a, what I would consider an undoubted word of wisdom, said, Well, sister, if you do go because this man prophesied over you, you better take him with you, because without him you won't know when to come back, will you? <laughs> and some of you will work that out later on. <laughs> it just means this. If you act on what somebody else says, and not because of something that witnesses to you, then you'll, you'll just be at the mercy of anybody who speaks a word over you. Amen. You with me? Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Now I believe in prophecy. I've just been telling you all these things. But I knew that you don't try and make it happen. Right. Sometimes you just put it, file it away, awaiting further light. Yeah. But in the first week or so in January, I received a phone call from the state superintendent of the Assemblies of God who I knew, not real closely, but I had known him across the years. Wonderful man, Clarence St. John. And he told me about a church in Chaska. Now, at one stage, my son-in-law, who's a pastor, and his wife had been just members of the church there. And so, consequently, we would go there from time to time for special occasions like Christmas, when they had a children's program, or Easter, or Mother's Day. And five years ago on Mother's Day, we went to the service there. And obviously, the pastor was having difficulties with some people in the church, or maybe a lot of people in the church, even though he founded the church. And he preached the most unusual Mother's Day message I've ever heard. He preached about Paul being stoned. <laughs> he was actually talking about himself, at least that's how he saw himself and what was happening in the church. And right in the middle of the sermon, he told the congregation what he wanted. He was resigning. He walked out the door and never came back. Very interesting Mother's Day service. <laughs> now, my, my wife got annoyed and she... They were, everybody was sitting there, just like we say in Australia, like stunned mullets, not knowing what to do. <laughs> and, and, and so she got up and, and, and she just ministered to the congregation and prayed over them and prophesied over them virtually that God was still going to use them. And so during the summer I offered to help them and so I used to preach there just about every Sunday when I wasn't preaching somewhere else. And then eventually in the fall they got a new pastor and he was there for five years. Occasionally we went back, we went back when they 
uh, started to rent a, a Methodist church and we were there for the dedication and sometimes for special occasions. But I got to know the people because I'd ministered there so much. And then, I hate to say this, but the pastor fell into immorality and he resigned. And so the Assemblies of God was going to put an interim pastor in because they had a system for handling things like that. But the people in the church said, well, could Pastor Allen be the pastor? So he called me up and he said, would I be willing to take over the church as interim pastor? And I said, whoa, <laughs> i got enough on the plate as it is. And, but I'll pray about it. But initially I had a very strong witness that this was right. So I had to talk to my wife and pray about it with her. And I said, I can only do it if my son-in-law works with me. Now, he had been, for a period of time, he had been the dean of the Minnesota Teen Challenge Training Center, but he just passed and done all sorts of things, and very good at praise and worship. And um, I, I had to speak at, talk it over with the uh, leaders of Omega Team that I had up, and they all gave me their support. And so I said yes. And so we have just become, at 75 years of age, the pastor of a church again. You know, God's done something every five years since the time we moved to America. Won't go through it all. I wonder what He's going to do when I turn 80. <laughs> By the way, I don't take life for granted. I've asked the Lord that I might live to 90 and that I might be meaningfully used of the kingdom during that period of time. I have no desire to live to 120. Some people do. But I ain't seen anybody 120 that I thought, boy, I'd love to be like that. Paul <laughs> <laughs> told me I had to finish by 9.30. Give me three or four minutes. He's a good friend, so I can have fun with him. <laughs> I want to tell you one last story before I pray for you. Because I don't feel as though I should minister to individuals minister to you as a group. When I was your age, back in a long, long time ago, I had a vision or a dream. I can never quite remember what it was. I think it was probably a dream. Let me tell you about it. I was in a rowboat on the Pacific Ocean, rowing, and I came to the shores of California. Now, bear in mind, I lived in Australia at that time. And I got out of the rowboat and pulled it up onto the shore and took the oars and just put them back in the boat and left it there and walked across the sandy beach and climbed a headland. A few years ago I was ministering in California. I went down to the beach with the people I was staying with and I saw something like I saw in the dream. And I began a journey that took me right across America. And then I came to a headland on the Atlantic Ocean. All this happening in my dream. And I stood on that headland and I looked down into this cove beneath me and there was another boat like the one I got out of in California. And it had two oars in it. And I knew I had to climb down the cliff and walk across the sand, get into the boat and push it out and begin rowing out of the Atlantic Ocean. And that was a dream. Now, with any dream or prophecy, often you have to decide, you know, what does that mean? Because it's important not only to hear the voice of the Lord in dreams and visions, but you have to interpret them. And you can get the interpretation mixed up. In fact, I was just corresponding with a pastor today about a vision he had and suggested a few things to him about what might the interpretation be. So I asked the Lord, Lord, what does that dream mean? And the Lord gave me the interpretation. He said, by the way, if I had taken it literally, I would have tried to row that boat across the Pacific Ocean to California, because that's where I lived in Australia at the time. And how many of you know that I wouldn't be here tonight if I tried to do that? <laughs> Sometimes we try to take things literally when God's speaking symbolically. And so I said, Lord, what does it mean? He said, well, the Pacific Ocean represents eternity past for you. And when you arrived at the Californian shore, that represented your birth. That's when you were born. And your journey across the United States was your life. 
And when you came to that headland on the Atlantic Ocean, that's when you were just about ready to die. And when you got into that boat and pushed out into the Atlantic Ocean, you were going into eternity future. And that period of time was your life. And I had that understanding when I stood on that headland with the Atlantic Ocean that I could look back and see all that had happened in my life. I also realized that what I would see that day was going to be determined by what I decided to do today and every day from that day, that day on. Now let me say this to you. One day every one of you is going to stand on that headland, so to speak. And you are going to be able to look back and you're going to see what you did with your life. Let me ask you the question. What are you going to see? What do you decide during this season of your life, when your life is young, where you're in that moldable period of time where God can do things in your life and set the foundations for the future, will in many ways determine what you see when you get to the end of your life. Now somebody said you've only got one life to live, you've only got one life to give. What are you going to give to Jesus? You see, your life is God's gift to you. What you do with that life is your gift to Him. What are you going to see? What are you going to see? What are you going to see when you stand on that headland? Now, I can't say that I've got everything right across the years. But I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to say when I come to the end of my life, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Because God has a plan for your life. God has a vision for you. He has something that He wants you to do that nobody else can do. You don't measure your life against the Billy Grahams of this world and think, well, I can never measure up to that. You were never meant to. But God has something for you. In the beginning of this book, it talks about destiny. And it quotes a, a, a song that I first heard, that first my wife and I heard first in Australia, that was written by an American. And it, it talks about destiny. And, and it, it says this, I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. I have a destiny it's not an empty wish, for I know I was born for such a time as this. Long before the ages you predestined me to walk in all the works you have prepared for me. You have given me a part to play in history to help prepare a bride for eternity. I did not choose you, but you, chosen, you have chosen me and appointed me for bearing fruit abundantly. I know you will complete the work begun in me by the power of the, of the Spirit working mightily. Let me say this. Every one of you in this room, including the people in that other room out there, <laughs> up the stairs, you have a destiny. And one of the greatest motivations I've found in life is to recognize that you have a destiny. And God's called you to fulfill that destiny. And the choice is yours. Don't waste your life. Give it all you got. Let's see what God can do. I have a phrase that I tell people, and people who know me well know, even before I say it, what I'm going to say. The best is yet to be. It's from a poem by Robert Browning. Come, grow old with me. The best is yet to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all these young people here tonight. Because, Lord, they have a destiny. You have something, Lord, that you want them to do with their lives. And ultimately, Lord, the choice is yours. But in a, another way, Lord, the choice is theirs. So I pray, Father God, that they might get a vision tonight of what that destiny might be all about, or at least they'll have the desire in their hearts to find it out and then to fulfill it. And my prayer is, Lord, that the, when the day comes and they stand on that headland, 
representing the end of their life, they can look back and say, like Paul of old, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've finished it all. And I've given my life for Jesus, who gave his all for me. Father God, we thank you that Jesus fulfilled his destiny. When he came, and even at this Easter time, we remember it especially. He went to the cross that we might have life and have it more abundantly and that we might live out our life and fulfill our destiny. Lord, our lives are your gift to us. What we do with our lives is our gift to you. May, Lord, we have something to give to you that is worthy of your sacrifice. Bless these young people tonight, I pray, as they go forward. I will declare to them the best is yet to be. In Jesus' name. Can we pray for you before you leave here? Okay. I'm not leaving. <laughs> no, I want to leave. I love this brother. Thank you. And his wife I love too. you too. And your wife. Yes. Yes. I wish you so. When I hear stories like that, I'm saying I want to finish strong. In a marathon, you don't start out of blocks. In a sprint, you do. You, know, you get down. In a marathon, you don't. You start standing up. It's not how well you start, it's how well you finish. When I, I ran a few, and my kids would say, did you win? <laughs> Come back. And I said, I finished. I won, I finished. I want to finish strong. Mm-hmm. And don't you want to finish strong? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see the passion today. What about 70 years from now? Don't you want to be more passionate, don't you want to finish strong? Let's bless him, and that's something I feel the Lord wants us to do together. And uh, at 75, my dad planted a church in Southern California at the age of 75, and I'm encouraged that he has taken on an assignment at 75. And uh, so if, if you've got a word for him now, I, f- I felt as he was speaking that there's a spirit of prophecy here tonight. That um, you know, when I read this book, what struck me is that they live by the revelation of God. I called, I think I emailed them or called them and tell them that 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 struck me that they don't live by reason; they live by the revelation of God speaking to them. So it was very encouraging to me to to read that. So maybe God will give you something, and if you get something out there, just speak good and strong. But let's believe that God will encourage him as he has encouraged us. Get a picture, get an impulse. Go ahead and share it. Okay, go ahead. You don't have to be intimidated, but he's a great man. The phrase that keeps coming to me is, the race is not finished, but the battle is won. Mm-hmm. There is victory over the situation. Mm-hmm. Just keep running after it, because God has already predestined this for you, and he will bless it. He has blessed it. He has already won over any insecurities, over any spiritual battles that will face you, you already have victory and you can go into the rest of this race with that in mind, with that victory at your side. Because God is that ever-present love and conqueror in your life and he always is holding you by the right hand no matter what you face. 
Mm-hmm. When Paul started to ask for the word, I heard the word anchored and ship. And then I heard storms. And in this season of time, there's going to be storms that are going to be around, but the Lord says that you're anchored. You're anchored, but you're a mighty ship, and like a, you're going to house a lot of people that are going to come that, that don't know what to do during the storm. But because you're anchored, because you know who He is, they're going to find that same anchor in our God. Mm. I felt like saying, to bless you and strengthen you for another days of for another day of rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see springs of living water welling and bubbling up. And I feel like the Lord's saying that He's going to bless you with more abundance in the Spirit than uh, you even imagine. Yeah. Um, just a, I just keep feeling abundance, mm-hmm. overflowing. I saw that as well with the word that uh, came along with it. Don't worry about the weeds. There will be weeds in the garden, but don't worry about the weeds because there will be plenty of flowers, plenty of abundance. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to be distracted. I pray that you won't be distracted by weeds that are in the garden. So we bless our brother. We bless him with the increase of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the testimonies from his life. We thank you for the exhortation that came and piercing into our heart tonight about uh, finishing strong and doing what we're called to do, walking into our destiny. Thank you that he walked into his destiny. He walked away from success in order to do the will of God. We bless him for his testimony. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able to stick around for a while, I know that there will be people who want to uh, receive prayer from you. What I'd like us to do, I feel there is prophecy here, and I'd I'd like you to spin around in groups of two or three and speak to one another. Don't get nervous when I say that. You just believe that God will give you something for the person who's close to you. You can move around if you want, and uh, not to necessarily... Uh, be in a group with someone close to you, but um, if possible, guys with guys, girls with girls, not a big deal. Um, but now, what are we saying when we say prophesy? Picture what God wants to say to them through you. Sometimes you start by giving an encouraging word, and at some point that encourages encouraging word just turns into a prophetic word. As you, in faith, Step out in obedience. The Lord may give you just a little bit. It may just be something that you know about them, or maybe you don't know about something. But you just step in, and God will give you something, and it will encourage you. I bless you tonight. Bless you. Speaking words that will encourage something else, and give them maybe a, a piece of their destiny. So we'll do that for a few minutes. It's 15 to 10. And um, however long. We can do it for five minutes and for ten. And uh, we'll put him somewhere up here. Then after that, we'll just dismiss. There's food in the kitchen. There are other rooms. You can spread out. You can stay as long as you want. I went to bed last week at at, uh, 11.30, and I uh, heard there were people up till around 3.45, (laughs) which is longer than usual. Quietly, right? You're welcome to stay. Remember the books? We'll just put those out there as you leave. You can take one as you go. You guys on the outside, you got to come this way. Somebody might like to start taking the books out of the box and put Good them idea. Good Pass idea. Them out. Pass them Toss them out. Toss them out somewhere. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, just put them, yeah, whatever you want. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. Thank you. glad to have new people here. God always brings new people to us. Uh, there's an offering thing in the kitchen. You ignore that, but some of you that have been here a while, uh, some of you I know love to give. Uh, uh, it goes to helping people that are doing mission work. also helps pay for the 
uh, food and helps us to bless those who come to speak to us a little bit as well. So, good to have you here. If, if you're new and you haven't yet signed the clipboard, we would, we would like to uh, get your name and email if you want to receive our updates. One of the things you're going to see in the update is about our school that we've been going. Raise your hand if you've been in the school. Pilot program, 20 of them, and we're going to launch a fall school for the rest of you. So we hope you're thinking about that. Okay, now we're going to just spin around groups of two or three and speak prophetic words to one another. The rest of that, I didn't say to you, but I forgot to tell you was that the anchor that God had you in on the boat, it was like you were in the eye of a storm. There was a lot of sunlight on where you were. It was very calm and peaceful where you were. So I, I, I realized I didn't say that part. So so I need to tell you that because you're not gonna you're not gonna feel the storm that's around, but there's gonna be storm all the way around. I think the whole world's gonna have a storm. Well, absolutely, absolutely. 